Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Another excerpt outtake episode from Sports Card Live, my recent appearance there with Jeremy Lee. Always have a good time and notice the topics, and there are others, but thanks sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, and Comsey.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So enjoy the uh, outtakes from this episode. Uh, you might check out Jeremy every Saturday evening anyway on YouTube. Sports Cards Live. Thanks, Jeremy. And thanks, listeners. Here it is. From your friend of mine, Adam Gray, he wants to know, how do you feel about hobby content that is driven by the financial side of the hobby? And uh, what responsibility do content creators have to not mislead their audience? That's an amazing question from an amazing guy. Basically, he's setting the bar so high with his basketball card fanatic monthly e-magazine. And even though he says it's about collecting and not about the money, he has a, a very nice way of weaving in the values, but also talking about the collectability, the art. I think what he's doing is uh, really excellent, and I hope people will adopt that. If I were 40 years younger, I would do something like that, but I did and I'm done. Now I want to be encouragement to other people. Where's the person that wants to do football card fanatic and soccer card fanatic and baseball card fanatic and hockey card fanatic, Jeremy. But I think what people will find, just like I found 40 years ago, is it's a lot of work. And Adam has found that out. Kudos to Adam. I think it's great. Again, an excellent blend of the art of the cards, the collectability, the scarcity of the cards and the value. What about the responsibility? There are several content creators out there who just let you know what cards are hot that week. What are your thoughts on that style of content? Back to the responsibility of content creators that have followings and have influence. How would you advise the content creators and their audiences? I don't think I'm going to answer this the way you think I'm going to answer because you and I are probably on the same page about that. But my interesting twist is I am surprised that there aren't more of these content creators going in that direction because it's what people want to hear. It all goes back to the discernment. When there's a lot of choices, do you want to just pick the loudest person or the person that does the most marketing? Or are you going to sample and test and evaluate and sift and figure out which of these content creators? You have to do your homework. But like I say, I'm surprised with as hot as the hobby is, there aren't more that are going that direction because it sells. Because right now, everything is hot. Why wouldn't you tout something going up when everything's going up? You you almost can't be wrong. I'm shocked that there aren't more. But as soon as there's a downturn, we're going to see some. Yeah. I'm surprised there are not more. Again, right. this is counterintuitive. It's the measure of a very healthy hobby that we have a lot of that going. If people weren't doing that, it would be because the hobby was not very exciting. Could we see a dedicated sports card show on cable television in the near future? What goes around comes around. Why not? I think there's going to be all kinds of things happening, and that wouldn't shock me at all. Any thoughts on how it might look? Would you see something on an ESPN or on the channels like where Pawn Stars or and American Pickers show up? What would you like to see if you were deciding? The goal would be to be omnipresent. It's not to pick one place. It's like the movies now. You want to watch a movie? You can get the movie the same time streamed as, as going to theater. So where you get something, to me, it's more about the content. If that content is created and it's appealing, what you're talking about is something that could have some celebrity involvement that would draw lots of eyeballs. As long as the people are knowledgeable and are not steering people in the wrong direction, I think it could be terrific. But why limit it to just ESPN or, or some other venue? I think it ought to be out there available to everybody. 
most content now is free. A, a lot of content creation is done by passionate people who who really want to do it. Some of the things you're talking about are business thrusts where they're expecting to make money, but you can't really make money in this hobby easily selling your content. You can get sponsors for the eyeballs and the ears that you have. If a large media company did something and they had not thousands of listeners and viewers, but hundreds of thousands or a million, then now you're talking about some serious ad dollars. So when it's ad driven, then maximize the audience. And that's really good for us because some of them are going to say, you know what? I'm looking for a sports card live type show. Oh, wait, there's a car show called Sports Cards Live and it's, it gets great reviews and it's a lot of fun. They're going to figure it out. So a greater megaphone for our industry, I'm all for it. What are your go-to podcasts? Sports Card Nation. I, I think Chris and Josh, I do more podcasts than YouTube. I'll get yours at Hobby Hotline. I do Drew's. Let me get that podograph. Wax Museum. Wax Pack Hero. I've done Mojo Break, but I'm not really a breaker. Go GTS. I, I think it's gotten to the point where I can't listen to every episode of every one, even if I go double speed. It's just too much content out there. Do you have any holy grails that you're still actively pursuing? I would say no. I'm not going to do a show about regrets, but I just think of all the grail cards that I could have had and way less. So now I'm on the decline. My goal is to have 10% less cards each year. I'd like to think I have quality and quantity, and I'm trying to keep the quality but have less quantity over this next decade or so. If I see something that's interesting that I can put on my wall, but I don't want to put ultra expensive stuff on my wall. I just want to have fun with it. It's more fun to just be in a more moderate priced uh, window. What is one of the little things you enjoy about the hobby? A simple pleasure that endures, some examples, slabs clinking together, flipping through bulk boxes, peeling blue tape off a top loader. What do you really enjoy when it's you and your cards? Number one, slabs clinking together. Absolutely not. That's bad. In fact, now I'm questioning, and I'm being a little bit facetious here, the decision to make the BGS slabs so substantial because they're heavy. They, they do lock together a box of BGS cards that's heavy. So not the slabs clinking together, the peeling the blue tape off a top loader or scotch tape or any other kind of tape, that is a big pain. In fact, even taking cards out of top loaders is you know, messes with your cuticles. I like to put gloves on. So it's door number two, flipping through bulk boxes. I do that a lot. I have my own that are pretty well organized, but I find nuggets in there. I went through some stuff today and found some good cards that are just buried in there. And when I go to a show, you go through a dollar box, it's hard to say you've seen every card that exists. I've seen a lot of cards, but to see something that I hadn't seen before, there's a buck. So I make a little stack and have some fun. And Rich Klein will be six feet away doing his thing, same thing. And we're kibitzing back and forth and uh, talking about the players and the sets. That's a lot of fun for me. Is there communication between grading companies when a card is crossed over so they can adjust population reports? Whatever communication there is between grading companies, it ought to be more. It ought to be better. It's my great hope that when Nat Turner, who'd been a serious customer of BGS, is at, at the helm of PSA, there'll be more communication with Andy Broom heading up things at CSG, that there'd be uh, good communication going that way, and the SGC guys as well. We want everybody that comes into this industry to have a good experience. That's one of the negative experiences you can have if you get a bad deal in grading. I heard about something that somebody was crossing over, and I'm not going to say which company, but it came back uh, not authentic, even though it had been slabbed and cracked out of the slab. Now that person has a card that is gone from worth a lot to worth maybe nothing.
So crossing over is not without risk if you crack first. Did Beckett come out originally, the magazine, to compete against Tough Stuff or was it the other way around? What was it like competing in the price guide space in the late 80s? What did you see in hockey cards that inspired you to make a Beckett magazine about them? Just like the grading, I don't think we said, okay, here's PSA. How can we copy what they're doing? When the annual price guide that came out first, nobody really had done that. It was pricing every card and every set. And then the magazine came out. There already was a, a monthly CPU, CCP, the East Coast, Long Island publications that were newsprint that had a lot of action back in the early 80s. Again, our goal was not to be like them, except that we were going to do a monthly price guide. We already had the data. Actually had a lawsuit with them because they were taking our data, which we won. But it just was fresh thinking. The big decision that I probably underestimated because I really wanted the card collecting hobby to be elevated. It wasn't just the price guide. We tried to wrap a magazine around it to something that people could be proud of. Somebody could say, that's interesting. Interesting articles. Gee, there's a lot of prices going up, some going down. So yeah, I think it was more fresh thinking. That's my entrepreneurial consulting is that people... Uh, need to be more experimenting and trying things that are different and fresh. Can you confirm or deny this comment? He says, Wayne Gretzky went to the LA Kings. That's why they started Beckett Hockey. No, but my parents had a fractional season ticket to the Kings that was before Gretzky was there. And it was about 20 rows up behind the goal. It was spectacular. So I became a great son to visit my parents and my brother was there too. When they'd have the tickets, I would try to be there because just watching the artistry, you could see the plays unfold and Gretzky's going where the puck is going to be and camping out behind the net. But no, that's not why we started back at hockey. But it probably was a catalyst in the sense that it was a giant step toward making hockey a more fully North American game. Actually, because it always was Canada and North, Northern America, (laughs) but it then became Southern America, the stars later, the Kings. And so that's broadened hockey's reach. So it made a lot of sense, but hockey was just the fourth one. It wasn't a distant fourth because like I said, the huge, passionate following for hockey and hockey did very well right from the get-go, but it wasn't just in Canada. People knew that hockey was taken off too. We had a lot of interest from American dealers and Europe, Scandinavian. Our hockey magazine did great right from the get-go. I'm not conspiratorial, but Gretzky was a national treasure. If I'm the commissioner, do I even let that happen? But it broadened the market for hockey. It sure did. Anyway, yes, he was a national treasure, and he still is, for sure, uh, here in Canada. When did you first see or notice the rookie card designation being represented within price guides? Putting an RC? I think immediately. The point of distinction might be that in the annual price guides, all those years until recently... RC designations were not put in the annual books because they had so many other sets that were not mainstream. But the magazines, I think right from the get-go, there was an RC because that was a key part of the indication of why something would go up. The rookie cards were the first things that moved. Not the only things, but the first things that moved. Again, you get into the XRC challenge because we would publish our definitions of what makes a rookie card as Victor Roman is looked at exhaustively. But that was tricky. And we'd say, here's how we're going to do it. And like I said before, as soon as you lay out, then the card company said, if that's the rule, then we can sneak it in this way. And so then we did some XRCs. Nobody liked that, but it was the only way to try to split the baby. Yeah. Shout out to Victor Roman, who is uh, taking it upon himself to define rookie card on his YouTube channel, All Time Greats blog. With the hobby's growth and to avoid youth and newcomers from being priced out of unique cards, what will it take for the leagues to license additional brands? 
they already are. The problem is the leagues have a, a single manufacturer and they've allowed those manufacturers to have a number of releases. If you were a manufacturer, would you want to do a release that is going to be at a low price point that doesn't make very much money, may not even make any money when you've got to make your guarantee? If they were to give them a pass or to cut them some slack, I'd love to see that because it's actually not just promoting the cards, it's promoting the sport. So hockey, football, basketball, baseball, all of them. I, I would hope that they would give their key licensing partner some slack. But there's always been stuff that people have been priced out of. When I first got in the industry, 50 years ago, I couldn't afford certain things. There are very few people that can afford anything. Now, the problem is if kids can't afford anything. If a kid went to a show, it's really hard to buy a box. There are very few boxes that a kid can buy without a $100 bill. But that doesn't mean they can't go to the dollar box, quarter box, dime box, whatever, and hunt. It feels like poor man's pickings, but there's a learning experience. I think if you went to a card show or an LCS, there's going to be something that you could find there. It just isn't what you want. And even if they have these cheaper products, it's not what the kids will want. They're going to want what the big kids want. They're going to want what their dads want. I was watching Brody the Kid, and, and he's getting something with his dad, and they got a big hit. That's a $200 box. I don't know that many 12-and-a-half-year-olds have 200 bucks to pop on a box. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they can't have fun with the industry, but they just can't pursue it in that way. And they may have to work up to it. There's so many in, uh, successful business guys now in our industry that have really hit it big, that are back in the hobby with a vengeance. They learned about business and P&L and how to market from baseball cards 25 years ago. Now they're mid-career and uh, using what they learned in their main career and this side gig is tons of fun for them. But it's because they couldn't get stuff when they were a kid that they wanted, that they purposed, that if I ever get enough money, I'm going to go get those cards I couldn't afford. Maybe that'll be happening for the kids of today. It's too.